Uh, Stand with me if you would. We're going to read the Word of God from Luke's Gospel. So I'm in Luke 12, beginning at verse 35, Jesus speaking on an exciting topic. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The Word of God. Please be seated. Jesus never shrunk back from saying tough things, did he? No wimp in Jesus. Now, the bottom line of this passage, one of the stirring strong calls in the Gospels, That Jesus tells us repeatedly, I am coming back. I will return. This is what the Bible teaches. There was the first coming 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Jesus coming as a baby. Coming as a servant to die on a bloody cross to pay for our sins. Rise from the dead. Ascend from the Mount of Olives back into the heavens. And when he ascended, there were two angels that showed up and said to the disciples... What are you staring at? He will return just this way. So one day on the Mount of Olives, some of us were there a couple of weeks ago, on the Mount of Olives, the Lord of glory will come again, not as a baby, but as a king, not as a suffering servant to bear a cross, but as the conqueror and Lord and and ruler of the universe. And there will be no doubt who Jesus Christ is. There's a lot of doubt today, but there will be no doubt then. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, what Jesus taught us, his followers, his disciples back then, his disciples today, is that you need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to be ready. You don't know when he's coming. You don't know when I'm coming. So be ready. Be ready. Now, scoffers scoff. Disciples get ready. Um, The Bible... um, there, there's a lot of disagreement among Bible-believing Christians like us 
on details of the coming of Christ. There's a lot of, you know, is this going to be uh, before a, a, a seven-year tribulation period? Will Jesus appear in the sky and there will be this rapture? Rapture, uh, believers are taken up in the heavens with Jesus. Second coming, Jesus coming back to the earth. Is there going to be a rapture before the tribulation, middle of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, pre, pre mid, post? Is there going to be a literal millennium of a thousand years on the planet? Uh, one passage in the Bible talks about that, the book of Revelation, but it talks about it six times in Revelation 20. Is this, is this a literal thousand years? Sometimes numbers in the Bible are literal and sometimes they're not. Or is this sort of a figure for, for heaven in the future? Premillennial, amillennial, or even a postmillennial. There are some, a lot of details that Bible-believing Christians down through the centuries see differently. No problem. This is what is unequivocal. I am coming back. Be ready. You don't know when. Be ready. Now, you may be thinking, if you're in an honest mode this morning, look, Jeff, it's been 2,000 years. We read about all these things about I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. It's been 2,000 years. Where is he? Well, there is a critical passage in the New Testament for that issue. Second Peter 3. Okay, this is Peter, who the main apostle that walked with Jesus, um, late in his life, writing to believers in modern-day Turkey. This is what Peter says in verse 3. Second Peter 3, 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. What are the last days? In the New Testament, last days. It's not the last 10 years before the coming of Christ. It is the entire period between the two comings. You read all the references, the last days, the entire period. We're in the last days. Scoffers will come and they will scoff. What are they scoffing about? Let's see. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? You hear him? You know, uh, where is this promise? Been a long time. They probably were saying this in the first century. Certainly they're saying it today. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. There's no big, no big change. No big end of history. Uh, where is his coming? Skip down a few verses. Let me pick it up in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now that enough would settle things. Uh, it is the, the basic perspective. There's more to say, but, but that alone is enough. That God is above time. Time is different than God. Been two days in God's, in God's timing. Hadn't been that long. But he has, has more to say. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I mean, it's just the mercy of God that he hasn't already come. So more people could come to know Jesus. But the day of the Lord, by the way, day of the Lord, that's a technical term in the New Testament for the second coming. The day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Like a thief, unexpected, you don't know when. So be ready, be ready. A couple of more thoughts in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Look, Jesus Christ is coming back. There's going to be a judgment day. We're going to be with him forever. It's going to be so good. We're going to be accountable here. 
what sort of lives ought we to live in godliness and holiness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We are waiting for it, and we are hastening by our waiting and our praying the day of God. Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Be ready. Now, if I passed out a sheet of paper this morning to everybody here, or maybe a three-by-five card, and said, okay, list two or three things you're doing to be ready. You're not a scoffer. You know this is the Word of God. You're a disciple. You want to obey the Word, not just hear it. What specifically are you doing to get ready? Let me suggest the ways that God has for us to get ready. You, verse 40. You, almost, you also must be ready for the Son of Man. His invariable term for referring to himself, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. How can you be ready? I suggest four things. Three, uh, two from this passage, two by uh, implicit from the Bible as a whole. First of all, just, let's just, the obvious one is make sure you're saved. I mean, uh, be, be in the kingdom when he comes, when the king comes back, make sure that you know him. He is not slow about his mind, but he, he don't want anybody to perish. And, and, and friends, that is so simple that we mostly miss it. That we can miss it. It's just a matter of putting our trust in a savior to rescue us rather than trust, putting our trust in our religion, our cleverness, our being born in America, our uh, hard work, our religious efforts. Uh, all of that is trusting yourself. Abandon trust in self. Trust the Savior. It's the most humbling thing you could ever do to admit before a holy God, I can do nothing to save myself. I am spiritually bankrupt. Jesus calls it poor in spirit at the start of the Sermon on the Mount. My only hope is a Savior who died on the cross for me. Okay, make sure you're saved. Okay, secondly, let's press into the passage. Uh, Secondly, I would summarize it this way. Live for Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. Be all in. Don't simply be a believer who trusts Christ for salvation, but be a disciple that Jesus defines in Matthew 28, someone who obeys him fully, fully surrenders. You know, I'm all in. I'm not half-hearted. I'm not casual. I'm not lukewarm. I'm all in. Be all in. Martin Luther put it this way. My favorite quote about the second coming. He said, Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming again tomorrow. Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming again tomorrow. Now, if Christ was coming in tomorrow, would you mess around with sexual sin? Would you be flirting and with a, a, another person uh, about an adulterous situation? Would you be messing around with pornography? Would you be cheating on, uh, you know, your finances? Uh, would you be uh, just sort of overwhelmed, giving in to jealousy and fear? And would you be holding on to grudges and resentments? Would you be uh, living a self-centered life all about you? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. That would be the most foolish thing in the world. Be ready. You don't know when I'm coming, so be ready. Be expecting your king. Live as if he could come tomorrow, come today. Okay, make sure you're saved. Secondly, live for Jesus all in. Thirdly, also in the passage, be found faithful at your post. Uh, That that becomes a a major motif in this passage, this master-slave imagery, master-servant imagery 
It's really all through the passage. For example, verse 36 that we read earlier, uh, he begins introducing this imagery. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So they may open the door. So, so, so Jesus saying in the story, in the parable, you're like the servant in the house. Literally, the word is doula, slave. You're like the slave in the house. He's the master. There's a servant-master relationship. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. You know, they're ready. They're alert. They're at the post. Uh, goes on down verse 39, but you know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming at imagery, verse 42, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to do what is right? But, but those uh, slaves, servants, masters of the household, managers of the household who are, who are you know, saying he's not going to come back, you know, it's been so long, I'm just going to live for myself, I'm going to beat the male servants, the female servants, come to eat, drink, get drunk. Boy, there are consequences to pay in very strong language. Um, be faithful at your post. What's your post? Well, living for Jesus. The great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself, the two great commandments. Uh, the great commission, go and make disciples. Um, if you're a husband, being faithful to your wife, your family. If you're a wife, being faithful to your husband and and take care of your kids if you've got kids. Uh, being faithful to represent Jesus in your neighborhood as your workplace. The calling, the spiritual gifts that we have. Are you holding babies in the nursery so that moms and dads can have a break to worship God together? Are you, are you helping the parking crew so, so that hundreds of people can, can come and worship the Lord? Are you, are you, are, is your calling during this season to, to meet with a group of seventh grade girls and to disciple those uh, little girls to, to know Jesus and to love the Lord? Is your calling to work with pro-life ministry, the cause of the unborn? Is your, is your cause to, to go down with a Josh Walker or a Charles Culpepper or a Bonnie Taylor to the prisons and, and to love those folks for Jesus? What's your calling? Be faithful at your post. Be faithful. Be found faithful at your post. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said the greatest thing, he's talking about the second coming, the greatest thing is to be found at one's post as a child of God, living each day as though it were our last, but planning as though our world might be last 100 years. So uh, I asked you earlier, what are you doing to be ready? Make sure you're saved. All in for Jesus. Be found faithful, serving the Lord. Faithful at your post. That's the major imagery in the passage. The idea that the servant is ready. Waiting, faithful, when the master comes back. We're just faithful. But from the scriptures as a whole, there is another uh, big message about the same coming that we need to do to be ready. And that's simply to be waiting and watching. Be waiting and watching. That's just so emphatic throughout the, the New Testament. Be ready, be waiting, be watching. The Lord's Prayer would be an example. Now, just think with me at the Lord's Prayer. What do we say? We say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be honored. What's the next line? May your kingdom come May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what are you praying? You're praying for the second coming. Now, the kingdom is already here. It came with Jesus in a strong way. In fact, it was here before that. It came in a stronger way with Jesus. We're praying that it would advance. We pray that it advance over Houston, over our neighborhoods, over Israel, Lebanon, you know, Europe, uh, around the world. We're, we're praying it'll advance, but it will not fully come. That prayer will not be fully answered until Jesus comes back to the planet. May your kingdom come come. May your will be done on earth. 
where you're praying for the second coming of Jesus. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer. There are so many other passages that refer to this in one way or the other. For example, Philippians 3.20. Paul puts it this way. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does Paul say? We're waiting for the Savior. We're waiting. We're not just forgetting it and ignoring it, but we're waiting. Or Hebrews 9.28, the writer of Hebrews. So Christ, having been suffered... Having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, that kind of language is pretty common in the New Testament. Those who are eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? Church, I've been a Christian 40 years, and I, I regret to say that I have made way too little of this. That I could not honestly say that most of my spiritual life that I've been eagerly awaiting for the Savior. And, and, and yet it is such a prominent thing in the New Testament. One twentieth of the New Testament deals with the second coming. Twenty-three of the 27 New Testament books deals with the second coming. Some 300 passages. I mean, we want to give some sense of emphasis and priority to what Jesus, what the Bible gives emphasis and priority to. This is big. And so, oh God, change me. And perhaps change you. Paul's perspective eagerly waiting for the Savior. Think about how the whole Bible ends. In Revelation 22, Jesus, I just, in my devotional times, I've been reading Revelation. In Revelation 22, the final chapter, Jesus says a couple of times, I'm going to come. I'm coming soon. And then in verse 17, we read that the Spirit and the bride, who's the bride? Us, the church, the Spirit and the bride, what do they say in response? Come, come. Do you say that? Come, Lord Jesus. And let the one who hears say, come. You hear this morning? Say, come. Yeah, okay, do it right there. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without cost, without price, because it's free to us because Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid it all. It's without cost. And then in verse 20, this is the next and last verse in the Bible. He who testifies to these things, this is John, says... Now, this is Jesus. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming soon. That is, quickly at the right time. And John responds, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Could we just say that last three words? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, that was John's response, his visceral gut response. And that ought to be our response. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, think of it this way. You're uh, uh, the backup quarterback for the New England Patriots. And we don't know your name because you never get in the game. And uh, Tom Brady is the best, you know, quarterback around. And he doesn't get hurt very much. And you're in the Super Bowl. And your team, the the Patriots, are driving down against the Seattle Seahawks three or four minutes to go. And and you need to score to win this game. And you're the backup quarterback. Uh, David told me it was Jimmy somebody's name. And uh, Jimmy is over there. And uh, he is just watching this thing and just all into it like any other fan. And they're driving down the, the, down the field. And all of a sudden, with three minutes to go, Tom Brady gets hit on his knee and he's injured. And Belichick, the coach, turns around and shouts, Jimmy, get in there. And Jimmy is over there watching the game like a fan and doesn't have a clue where his helmet is. <laughs> and he's got to go up and down and trying to, try to find his helmet while, you know, Belichick, his steam is coming out of his ears. And uh, he wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. Do you know what Jesus' first 
phrase is of our passage today that I read a bit earlier. Get dressed for action. Get dressed for action. Be ready. Be ready. Now, we don't wear a football helmet around, but you know what we wear? We wear this extensive mindset. He's coming again at any time. I need to be ready. We've got this extensive mindset, kind of written not uh, in pen and ink, but on the, on the, 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 the front part of our brain. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, we have about six policemen that help us in our services. And by the way, they're part of our family. Treat them like you treat me. Uh, Dwayne, Eric, uh, all the wonderful folks. When they come, they get dressed for action, don't they? Uh, they, 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 you know, wear guns and they, they got this uniform. You know, they don't show up in their house shoes. But they're dressed for action and they're alert. They're alert, you know, because some churches, you know, bad things happen. They're alert. They're looking around. Do you know, do you know that if uh, you put on a white lab coat, a white doctor's coat, studies show that your attentiveness level goes up? Just putting on the uniform. Look, Jesus says, get dressed for action. Put on your frontal load. He's coming again. Eagerly wait for him. Eagerly wait for him. But you know, the, the, the best a little example of this of all, I think, is... Um, uh, recently, uh, I led a team of about 50 of us to uh, Israel and Palestine, and, and uh, Gail stayed back because both of our girls, Sarah and Mike, her, Sarah, her husband Mike, Callie, her husband Paul, went with us, and our three grandkids stayed with Gail. Now, um, Gail and I don't like to travel apart, but sometimes we do that, and um, uh, the reason we don't like to travel apart is because we just don't like being apart. Um, we miss each other. By the time I get on the airport and the plane takes off, I'm already missing her. And, and the whole time I'm missing her. And she's missing me. And, uh, you know, we're communicating and we're, and we're, we're keeping touch base. And as we're flying back, okay, got six more hours. Okay, got four more hours. And it's not, uh, you know, I appreciate you. I love you very much. But it's not so much for you or the town or the restaurants. It's her. Wherever that woman is, that's my home. And I do not feel right if I'm not with her. And I am eagerly waiting to get back to her. And she is eagerly waiting for me. Do you know the main picture between God and humans is a marriage? In the Old Testament, it was Israel and God. In the New Testament, it is Christ and his bride. Because it is a love relationship. It's all about love. It's a love thing. And we are looking forward to Jesus coming because we love him. And we're going to see him as he is. And he's going to rescue us. And we're going to be with him for eternity. And all the problems in the Middle East are going to be wiped out. And around the world, in France. Uh, we were over at our house the other night with all these dear friends uh, for uh, dinner, and we, we each one went around and shared dreams. And uh, Nizreen, I was just so struck by, by what you said. Nizreen lives in Bethlehem. Uh, there'll be no more checkpoints. And uh, amen. There will be no more checkpoints in heaven. And there will not be uh, Ali as a young, uh, different Ali than this dear Ali right over here. Yep, that dear Ali. I really like that guy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's a different Ali. He's from Iraq. He lives in Houston. He's a refugee. We've got some Iraqis that were at the retreat. And he, he, he just said, Jeff, a hundred 
uh, Iraqis a day are killed for no reason. That won't happen in heaven. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. This morning, a group prayed over me at 8.15, as they do every Sunday morning. Love for you to join us. And one of them was Mike Faulkner in our church. And Mike Faulkner, I haven't seen him for four to six weeks, and it turns out he's been in Alaska. And he's an emotional guy, big, tough guy, but he's an emotional guy. And he just started crying as we were praying. And he said when it was his time to pray, it's so good to be home. God, it's so good to be home. And the tears came down. And he said, and it will be so good to be home forever in heaven one day. And that's what it means for Jesus to come back. You're home. You're finally home. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming again tomorrow. We don't know when it's going to be. He made that very clear in the passage at several points. Uh, We don't know when it's going to be. It might be in our day. It might not. Every generation since, uh, if you read church history, Practically every generation has felt it's going to come in, my, in our generation. It hadn't. Uh, it, could come to, it could happen today, tomorrow, but it could happen in a thousand years. You don't know. And some of you are just sort of assuming it's going to be in the next five years. Maybe. Come, Lord Jesus, but maybe not. You don't know. So just be ready. Just be ready. Now, what he's emphasized, particularly in the last half of the passage is that there will be rewards for those who are ready. Now, if words mean anything, that means those of you who do something about his teaching, that is, you're all in. If there's any area of sin you're messing around with, you're getting rid of that. Man, you're praying, you're, you're hoping he's coming, you're, you're, you're living your life, you're faithful at your post. Uh, he, he's very clear there's reward. He says in verse 37, for example, Truly I say to you, uh, well, well, 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. And, and later on, blessed are those servants. And later on in verses 42 and 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. There is meaningful reward you know, probably involving intimacy with the Lord and maybe the uh, uh, opportunity to serve in the kingdom in heaven one day. Um, be ready. And maybe more sobering, there are consequences for those who ignore this teaching. The servants who keep living for themselves, you know, half-hearted, casual Christian lives, as if our entire eternity is going to be spent on earth as if money and houses and things like that are going to matter at all in eternity. And we, our attitudes, our forgiveness, our use of money is no different than our non-Christian friends. There are consequences. And he uses imagery. He's not going to literally cut us into pieces, but there is imagery. And he says, those who know the master's will and don't do it, severe beating. Those who didn't know his will, light beating. Not a literal beating, but there are consequences according to how much we know. And then he says, to whom much is given, much will be respected. Now, friends, there are people down through history who've lived and died and never had any of the New Testament or any of the Bible in their own language. That happens today around the planet. There are people in communist countries and some Islamic countries that you're not free to worship 
the Lord. Uh, you don't, you're not free to have a Bible, things like that. And uh, friends, we have so much. No generation in history has had the resources, the knowledge. Man, we don't have, not only have a Bible in our own language, we got a hundred of them. And we can freely worship Him, and we got all kind of teaching in Bible-believing churches. We have so much that we've been entrusted to, to whom much is given, much is expected. Don't show up at the judgment day and tell God, well, you know, I had all my problems like this, and you did nothing for the kingdom. You be ready. You're all in for the Savior. You care about the fact that there are people living and dying without the Savior. They matter to you. You're loving folks, praying for folks. You're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. You're all in for Jesus. You too be ready. This is your only shot.